0: Amen. Um, So, quick question. How many of you guys are single in here? I got a little, okay, here's a little info for you. When you do get married, you and your wife or husband will not like the same television channels, okay? It's just not going to happen, okay? So I didn't know this going into marriage. And so going into marriage, it's like, oh, yeah, sure, she's going to love The Walking Dead, of course. uh, Things like that. And it turns out uh, she doesn't. (laughs) And so me and my wife, we like different channels, right? Uh, I like Spike and I don't know what else, and she, she likes a channel I hate called E. Yes, just one letter, E, all right, exclamation point. And um, it's this channel where it's, it's, I think it's called, I think E stands for entertainment, but it is not entertainment. Um, it is. It is one of the most boring channels, okay, to me. Um, A lot of you ladies out there are like, I love you, um, but I hate it. And so, because I'm a good husband, though, you know, sometimes I let her watch it. Um, um, And I'll be sitting in the living room, and she'll be watching something, and I'll just sit there kind of on my computer. And one of these things she likes to watch, and this is what I hate more than anything, is she likes to watch the pre-award show award show or whatever the pre-award show so like the red carpet stuff right and it's really just like a bunch of celebrities being like aren't I awesome and like and then the reporters being like you are awesome and and so I hate it so I'll sit out there though because you know you're supposed to love your wife stuff like that and (laughs) I'll sit out there and I'll do something else while she's watching and every once in a while Something will pique my interest, I'll hear it out of the corner of my ear and I'll look over and and I'll say, oh, what's going on? And one of those things that piques my interest is sometimes one of the reporters will say, hey, who are you wearing? Okay, see, this piques my interest because the only other context I know that statement in is Science of the Lambs with Hannibal Lecter, okay? (laughs) And so I'm like, did murder just happen? (laughs) And so I look at the TV and oh, it's, it, it's not Hamble-Ector, it's not anything. But really what they're saying is they're going, who are you wearing? And, and they really mean like, oh, my dress is from whom, whomever or whatever. It's always um, very Italian names, I feel like. And so this piques my interest. So today, though, we are gonna, we're going to ask ourselves that question, as cheesy as that is. We're going to ask ourselves, who are we wearing? okay who are you wearing okay and that's going to be that's kind of the big question of today's text who are we as followers of Jesus wearing and even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus I'm gonna ask you who are you wearing might not make a lot of sense right now but it will when we get there so today for a little bit give you a little bit structure of what we're gonna go through is first we're just gonna go through verses 8 through 13 and we're gonna see Paul give us two more reasons Um, to love well. And we're going to see that he's actually um, referencing God's redemptive plan for earth in order to motivate us more. And so he he references God's redemptive plan in two more ways and he uses it to motivate us. So we'll spend some time on that. And then we're, we're going to get to verse 14 and we're going to answer that question, who are we wearing? And especially for us followers of Jesus, who should we be wearing? Okay, spoiler alert, it's Jesus. And so, and then we're going to say, what does that mean for the, for us today as Christians? What does it mean to wear um, Jesus? So, let's get into it. If you need a Bible, um, raise your hand. We've been going through the book of Romans for about 17 years now, and we're almost done. If you need a Bible, raise your hand high. If you don't own a Bible, this is yours to keep. I bought it for you personally. Um, with the church's money. And uh, if you already own a Bible, just put it on the Connect desk on your way out. Let's kind of recap as those are... Uh, being passed out so so far in Romans first Paul kind of goes through Romans he hits us hard with the gospel and then lately in Romans what we've been going through is we've been talking about love and especially the action component of love how how we should love our neighbor how we should love the world and we've talked about all kinds of ways to love the world around us honoring one another rejoicing with one another weeping with one another loving our enemies okay and then last week we talked about um how we are to relate to the government, how we are to relate to the government, which um, Tyler last week argued, man, this is a way we love the world around us too. This is another way we love the world around us. And so today we will continue talking about love. So if you have your Bibles, open to Romans 13, and we'll be in verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. See, I I choose not to turn there so that we're like on the same wavelength. I know those pastors go faster than you sometimes. Um, So, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, if you're like me, these are the kind of verses for as a Christian where you're like, yes, right? Where you're like, this is this sounds really good. Right? It's almost like Paul is saying, like, dude, forget about the rules, right? Forget about love, like, forget about not murdering, forget about coveting, forget about that. Just love, because you fulfill the law that way. And you're like, yes, I'm all about anarchy. Don't tell Tyler Johnson that. He he said he wasn't. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm not about anarchy. But what's confusing here? What's confusing here is he he Paul begins to say that we fulfill the law by loving. He says that we fulfill it. Now this is why it's confusing because in Romans alone, he's he's Paul has said things like we've died to the law. He said things like, we're not under the law anymore, but now we're under grace. And we've preached on that stuff. So if we're not under the law, if we've died to the law, Paul, why are we fulfilling the law now? It seems like you could have used a better word. And so I think if we're like, Paul, what, what are you trying to say? You're confusing us. I think he would answer back like this. I think he would say, listen, you have fulfilled the law because something amazing has happened. And he would begin to talk about how Jesus came to earth, how God sent his son Jesus to earth, and how Jesus himself said, hey, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Again, this word fulfill. And what Jesus was saying there was he came to be the righteous requirement of the law. Because the law, if you don't know that already, is, was like the Old Testament, and it was kind of the rules and the regulations and the things you did to be righteous. And so Jesus came and he said, listen, you guys can't be righteous, so I'm going to be righteous. And so Jesus went about and he fulfilled the law by being completely righteous. Now what's more is he did some more things. He died for our sins. and He raised from the dead to share in life with us. Right? And so as he did that, now we can be connected to Jesus in a way that we're his body. That's how he describes it. He says that we have a union with him. And there, there are these mysterious phrases that are used about the Christian's relationship to Jesus that sometimes don't make sense to me, but there is this union we have with Christ. And so now this is why we fulfill the law. Because now, after Jesus, after what Jesus did, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside the Christian. The Holy Spirit moves inside us. So now, the Christian can love their neighbor in a way that the non-Christian couldn't before. The the Christian can love their neighbor in a way that the the, the people of Israel couldn't love their neighbor before, right? In the famous story where someone asked Jesus, who is your neighbor? He told the story of this good Samaritan. And in this story, the religious people of the day avoided their neighbor. They did everything they could to get away from their neighbor. And so, so now what Paul is saying is, now because the Holy Spirit is in us, we fulfill the law. We've brought the law to its culmination. We've brought the law to its completion. We've brought the law to its goal, which is to love the world well. And so Paul here, he's referencing what's happening in God's redemptive plan. And you'll notice this throughout the New Testament is Paul will, represent, will reference God's redemptive plan. So see, when things got messed up in this world, God had a plan to fix all these things. And there's different parts of history that are in each part part of that plan. And so now he's referencing where we currently are in that part of the plan. He's saying now love is fulfilled in you and me because of what Christ did. Now the Holy Spirit lives in us and we can love our neighbor as ourselves. And so now the law is fulfilled in us. The righteous requirements of the law is fulfilled in us because of what Jesus did. And so that's why the law is fulfilled in us. Paul thought that was obvious. I don't, so that's why we talked about it. (laughs) Verse 11, let's go on. He gives us another reason to love. He says, besides this, you know that the time, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Stop there. So again, Paul is, again, referencing God's salvation plan for us. He's referencing where we are in the history of God's redemptive plan to motivate us, right? He's saying, listen, things are going down. Listen, things, are, things have been happening. It's not nighttime anymore. It's daytime. Now wake up. Live as though you are living in the day. Live as though it is daytime. Don't, don't be sleepy and loving the world. He said, so he's kind of referencing that Jesus is going to be coming back soon. He's like, Jesus is coming back soon. We need to be alert. We need to be ready for it. And he's saying this should motivate us. I compare, I compare this motivating us to uh, the invention of cell phones. Okay, stay with me. Uh, so growing up, I, I went to a school that had uh, uh, intercession in between each quarter so we would get three weeks off in between each quarter of school it was amazing and so but we'd only get six week summers so but because we had these three weeks off when we were old enough my parents would leave us home alone and they would often before they left home they would say hey here's some chores make sure you do them you have all day I'll see you around 5 30 they would leave and then we kids would just party all day, right? We just, all kinds of crazy stuff, I don't know, like, we didn't get into the booze, but um, we, just, we just did whatever we wanted all day. It was, it was true anarchy. And so, and then my dad would come home, my dad would come home, and he would, first thing he would look for, he might give us a hug, I, I can't remember. Um... And he would see if like, the dishes were done, or if whatever chores we had were done, and then they were not done, and he would destroy us, right? He would just destroy us. And um, he wasn't abusive, though, um, but uh, mostly used his voice, and we would scatter and run and hide. But then this awesome thing happened, the invention of cell phones. And so this is what happened. So during the break, my parents would leave again, leave us alone all day. They would say, hey, do these chores. Then they would leave. Okay? And then we're partying all day, doing whatever we want all day as kids, fighting each other, whatever. And then about 30 minutes before they got home now, they have a cell phone though. So, first thing they do off work, because we're the center of their lives, they call us and they say, Hey, Anthony, how's it going? Oh, great, Dad. And then my dad would be like, Oh, did you clean the dishes and clean the living room and do this? And then I would be like, Oh, hey, Dad, you're breaking out, breaking up, whatever. And hang up on him. And then I would be like, Siblings unite, we got to get some stuff done. We have to get some stuff done. They're coming home, remember? We forgot about all these chores. And we would run around, we would scatter, and we would just like get, and we'd get done, and we'd just be like sitting in the living room all tired. And then my dad would come in the door, and he would see the chores done, and he would look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servants. Uh, I'm just kidding. He just wouldn't yell. And so... <laughs> That's really what happened. And so this is why I compare that to, to the invention of cell phones. Because Paul is trying to motivate us right now. He says, listen, there's not much left in God's redemptive plan. Paul is saying, listen, Jesus is returning, and he's going to wrap this whole thing up. That's it. That's what's going to happen. That's all that's left as part of God's redemptive plan. So now we live in this time that, that the stakes are high right? Like, just like for me, when my dad called, the stakes were high. I was going to get beat down if I didn't get the stuff done. Now, we don't have a God like that that's going to beat us down if we don't get his work done, but the stakes are high because now we live in this time where God wants all to be saved, and he wants us to love the world well, and so now the stakes are so high because we live in this time where the next thing that happens is going to be God's redemptive plan. It's going to be God coming back. It's going to be God wrapping this whole thing up. It's going to be God judging Christians and non-Christians. It's serious. We live in a serious time. And I don't know about you, but that motivates me because I don't want Jesus to come back and me to say, man, I didn't think you were going to come back yet. Right? We should should be living every day as if it's our last, in a sense, just like a country song, because, because it could be. Jesus could come and return and wrap this thing up. So that should motivate us to love and as, and in the least legalistic way possible. But Paul, Paul uses it to motivate us, and so God is using it to motivate us. All right, so let's move on to verse 13. And so Paul kind of gives, in verse 13 and 14, this is where Paul is going to give feet to this idea of being awake and what does it really mean to be awake. So verse 13 let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies. I'm going to stop there. Um, does anyone else feel like Paul is really worried about orgies? <laughs> like, I don't know if you, if you read the Bible a lot. Listen, I know some of you are like, did he say orgies in church? I'm like, it's in the Bible. Um, just deal with it. Listen, if you ever look at his list of sin, orgies is always there. I don't know what that is about. But anyways, read the Bible. It's fun. Um, let us not. Sorry. Is that, I, I don't know, whatever. Uh, email me later. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And so really we see why Paul is probably saying orgies there is he starts listing off things that are, sins that are characteristic of, of night, of, of what you would do in the night. But what's funny is he goes down and then he says quarreling and jealousy. Right, And so I think he was like first staying with his metaphor, and then he's like, now I'm going to get the Romans. (laughs) And he just adds in jealousy and quarreling, because that that seems to be something they were struggling with, and we'll see especially next week that they struggled with quarreling. And so, so Paul is saying, we need to cast these things off if we are to live in the day. Now, verse 14. But, instead of doing those things, essentially, but... Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so Paul says, put on Jesus instead. Don't make a provision for the flesh. And if if you don't understand what that means, that doesn't mean don't comb your hair. It, It means that in the biblical term is don't let your body control your life. Don't let your body control your life. Don't let it choose everything for you. Don't let it. Let pleasure be the, the epitome of your life. Don't let sin be what you seek after. That's what the flesh is, is our sinful nature without Christ. And so he says, instead of that, put on Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why I opened with that story about, who are you wearing? And so that's my question to you. As a Christian, as a non-Christian, who are you wearing? Are you wearing Jesus? What does it mean to wear Jesus? I think it, it simply means that each and every day, Jesus is, a, is in control of every aspect of your life. That in every component of your life, when people see you, they see Jesus. Because you've put him on. Right? And you might say, Anthony, I don't think it's really talking about putting clothes on. But he just said, put on armor. And then he said, put on Jesus. And so most uh, commentators on this text will say this means that they're saying put on Jesus like you would put on your clothes. And so that's my question to you. Ask yourself, do you put on Jesus day in, day out? Are you, are you the kind of person that, that wakes up and says, man, I'm going to live out my life today. There's some things going on. Am I going to live that out as Jesus? I'm, am I going to live that out as Jesus? I mean, something we, uh, a lot of people I know make fun of was uh, the WWJD bracelets, right? In the 90s, I think we just make fun of every Christian thing from the 90s. But there was these, in the 90s, there was these bracelets, if you didn't know, and they said the letters WWJD on it, which stood for, what would Jesus do? Right? And those bracelets kind of have it right. They kind of have it right. For, and it's kind of cool because you put it on. Um, but anyways, it goes with this verse. They must have read this verse. And we're like, dude, I got an idea. Um... Uh, <laughs> And, and they go throughout their life, the people that wear those bracelets, I wore them just because, like, you were supposed to. And, you're, and, and they would ask themselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? And I think that really is what it means to put on Jesus Christ. It's to actually have him on you in a way that in every aspect of your life, you think about what would Jesus do right now. Am I reflecting Jesus to the world? Am I putting him on right now? Or are you trying to build up your own glory? Are you trying to build up yourself? Are you trying to make a name for yourself? Are there things in your life you're like, man, I'm going to go after this, even though I'm not really totally sure if God would have that for me? I'm going to keep building these things up for myself so I can make a name for myself. Paul says we can't live like that. He says we need to put on Jesus. He compares it to something we do every day, which is getting dressed. He says put on Jesus. And not not only something we do every day, but something we do usually all day is have clothes on. And and the last eight or last nine weeks, really, we've spent so much time talking about how we can uh, be Christ-like in every aspect of our lives. How we can love the world well. And in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, to our friends, our family, and our enemies. And so I don't want to hash that out more. And what's cool is I don't think the text is necessarily hashing that out more. Because if you'll notice, Paul just listed a bunch of sins, and he says, but instead of doing those things, put on Christ. And so I think what Paul is trying to say is, man, we need to get to a point where we're choosing to put on Christ instead of choosing sin. That even in the midst of our sin, we need to choose to put on Christ instead of choosing sin. And so I want to take some time to talk about, are are we the kind of people that in the midst of our sin, are we putting on Jesus? Are we choosing to put on Jesus? Which I think just looks like saying, God, take over my life today. And, And trying to live that out. So I want to take some time and talk about, kind of like a list of sins that I made that I feel like we struggle with and I struggle with at times. And it it might seem daunting, but stay with me because I want this list to connect to us and convict us and move us towards Jesus. Okay, I don't want you to feel judged or hated, but I want you to feel convicted in a way that causes you to go after the greatest being in the universe. And so are we putting Christ in the midst of our sin? Are we putting Christ in the midst of our anger? Right? This is something I struggle with a lot. And anger is this kind of, now it's not always sinful to be angry, but often for me it is sinful to be angry because of what I do with that anger. I choose to raise my voice. I, I choose to be snappy with those around me. I choose to be uh, unkind. And I I had to ask myself this week, in the middle of my anger, in the middle of that stuff going on, do I stop myself and say, Christ, I need to put you on me. Christ, come over me right now. Christ, take over my life right now. And what sadly is the truth is often I choose the yelling and I choose the getting angry and choose the being mean over putting on Christ in those situations. What about in your lust and sexual temptations? We, we all struggle in all kinds of ways in this area, especially in this culture. It seems to be this just kind of overly sexual culture. And it seems to be this thing we, that, that our culture as a whole desires in, in, in unhealthy amounts. And so we, we struggle with things like porn. We struggle with, with things like unhealthy relationships and going too far in relationships time and time again. But in the midst of that, I want to ask you, are you putting on Christ? Right? As you find yourself turning to whatever that thing is over and over and over again, in the middle of that, are you saying, Christ, I need to put you on right now. I need you to take over every aspect of my life. Or are you saying, no, I want to I keep doing this thing. What about this? What about the vanity of of wanting people to think you're awesome, right? Which they have an app for that, and it's called Instagram, right? (laughs) Got you. Right? People take pictures. I I wanted to start taking pictures of, like, terrible parts of my life, but people were – I think people would think I'm, like, really depressed or something, so I didn't. But people usually take pictures, and the background is, like, a dragon flying. Like, I'm like, how – you met a dragon, right? And then I see them the next week i like, oh yeah, no big deal, or whatever. And I'm like, no, that's a big deal. And so, and then people will get these huge followings on Instagram and likes and all this stuff. And there's that commercial and right the guy's like, I got hundred likes, whatever. And sorry, you don't know that commercial, but there is a, a sinfulness in that. I think not always. But there is a sinfulness in wanting to establish yourself and be loved by man in a way that only God can love you, right? To be revered by man in a way that only we should revere God. In those moments, as you're about to take the picture of you with the dragon, are you saying, God, come, let me put you on right now? And don't say all Instagram pictures are bad. I'm just saying, check your heart. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, as a wise man once said. <laughs> Another thing I think we struggle with is uh, a lack of compassion for anyone different than us. Now, this, these kind of conversations I find myself in or I hear people talking about where if it's just someone that, most often when we don't have compassion for someone, it's because they sin differently than you and me. Right? Because they sin in some way that seems totally grotesque and totally deplorable and totally like something we would never deal with, we, we, are, we don't have compassion for them. That's sin. It's sin to not have compassion for those that sin differently than you. In those moments, are you just griping and complaining about these people or do you stop yourself and say, Christ, I need to put you on me right now? I need you to take over my life. I need you to take over my thoughts. I need you to take over my mind and my heart because they are sinful right now. What about in partying, right? When you go out partying, a lot of people struggle with just drinking too much, which Paul references right here in the verses. Getting drunk every weekend, getting drunk all the time. This is what I want to say to you. You If you struggle with that, you in the midst of that can say, Christ, help me right now. Christ, I need to put you on right now. Am I imaging you well to the world? Help me to image you well right now to those around me. I'm not against going to parties. Go to parties. But don't find yourself seeking satisfaction in something that only God can give. The last one is in our unforgiveness. And this is something I also struggle with. There comes a point in a lot of people's lives, and in include, mine included, where you just feel like so many people have wronged you where it is so hard for you to forgive. Where it's so hard for you to forgive, especially because you're, oftentimes it's true. You've been wronged, and there's nothing you did to deserve that wrong. In the midst of that, I have to ask myself, God, I need to put you on me right now. I need to wear Jesus in this situation. So all those things, I listed just a bunch of sins. And it, it makes it sound like I'm a grump right now. Right? Like, everything is bad. Don't do anything. It's all bad. But really what I'm trying to say is there is a God of the universe who has something better for you, which is himself. We have a God of the universe who says, man, there's all these things that are attractive, and, and, and they're, they're just really debilitating to you and to our relationship." Here's the beauty of the gospel. That in the midst of all those sins, in the midst of all that, right? Paul just said all this stuff, including orgies. He says, in the midst of all that, put on Christ instead. That's our God, right? He doesn't say, as Christians, that we should run away from him and hide and make a sacrifice and then come back. He says, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of you turning from me, in the midst of you doing wrong, in the middle of that, I want you to turn towards me. I want you to put me on. This is the God of our universe. He loves us that much that he would not let sin come in between us because he has defeated sin. Because often as, as Christians, this is what we do. We mess up in whatever area we mess up in and then we kind of get mad or at ourselves and we kind of just beat ourselves up and we don't really turn to God in it and we don't turn it to God until we start doing the right things again. That is not the gospel. The gospel is we're messing up and we should turn from that and run to God. We shouldn't turn from that, punish ourselves and hope God accepts us now because Jesus has been punished for us. We can now turn to God. That's amazing. That's different than pretty much every religion out there. That we, that the God of our universe didn't say, man, here's all the things I need you to do so that I can accept you again. He said, man, you guys aren't getting this. Man, you guys can't do this. So he sent Jesus and Jesus lived this perfect life for us. He showed us what it means to be righteousness. And then he said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to die for their sins now. Since I did this right, I'm going to take on their sin. I'm going to be punished for it. And he died. And then he raised from life to share in that life with us. He raised from the dead, sorry, he raised from the dead to share in that life with us. And now we get to have God see us as righteous. Right? That's why in the midst of our sin, Even though we're not righteous and we're not being righteous, God can see us as righteous because of what Jesus did. And we can turn to him. Instead of beating ourselves up, instead of turning from him, instead of running the opposite direction, right? If you run away from your sin and you don't run to God, there is no point. We need to run away from our sin to God. That's the scandal of the gospel, that even in the midst of, Of our most sinful times, we have a God saying, please, put me on. Please. Even when we're doing one of the most sinful things ever, God's saying, please, put me on. As I'm being harsh with my wife about something, I have a God of the universe that says, please, Anthony, put me on right now. And even often, I don't. He's still, the next time, saying, please, Anthony, put me on. Put me on right now. Maybe some of you have never gotten that before, that we have a God, of the, a God who, who loves you enough to, to take care of your righteousness. He was righteous for you. So church, stop. Stop thinking your sin will stop you from putting on Jesus. Now it will for a time. But stop thinking you have to go punish yourself before you can come back to Jesus. Jesus has cleaned you up. Just keep running to him in the midst of all of your sin. And if we can do this well, if we can put on Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ in every situation, then we're going to be able to love our world well. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that the gospel is so contrary to human nature. I thank you that I don't have to do these 10, 20, 30 things in order to be accepted by you, but that you accept me by your work and by what Jesus did. God, I think we are bad as Christians to run to you in the midst of our sin. I think more often than not, God, we just find ourselves continuing to sin and dealing with it later and feeling depressed and down on ourselves. God, give us the power. Holy Spirit, empower us that in the middle of our sinning that we could run to you, that we could repent and run to you. God, we love you, and we thank you, and we need you. Amen.